Welcome to the Liberal Your Podcast, the European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre, and I'm very happy to bring you today a conversation with Alexander Skouras. Alexander is the president of the Greek think tank Center for Liberal Studies, Marcos Dragomish, also known as Kefim. And by the way, this think tank is a member organization of the European Liberal Forum family. Previously, Alexandra has also been the director of Institute Relations in the Atlas Network, and he has worked in multiple campaigns in Greece and the United States, something that we touch upon during the conversation. This was recording during the conference LibertyCon that happened in Lisbon on the 22 and 23 of April. And one day before that, Alexandra and I were part of ELF event on the future of liberalism. It was the right moment to ask him to please come to the podcast. In this conversation, Alexander will share with us his insights in campaigning, the importance of winning elections, and how crucial it is that the common citizen develops economic literacy. We also talk about one of the Alexander's favorite projects, the Economic Olympiad. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF, for this month of June. But now, with no further ado, I bring you Alexander Skouras. I'm here with Alexander Skouras. Alexander, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you, Ricardo, for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. You have a lot of insights and mostly a lot of experience that I want to get into. But please tell our listeners what was the path that you took to get to this point that we're speaking. Yeah, well, it's been a very interesting path in pursuit of freedom and uh, uh, human liberty. Um, it all started back in uh, 2008 when the economic crisis was striking Greece pretty hard. Mm -hmm. It was the beginning of the crisis. I was working in the private sector in a, in a large multi multinational company. I was uh, uh, a manager there. And uh, essentially what happened was I, I tried to understand what was this crisis that was coming. And for those uh, of our listeners who have heard about the Greek crisis, um, I'm pretty sure they know that it was a different crisis than the one that struck the entire world. It wasn't the financial system that collapsed, but it was primarily a fiscal crisis. So that, as, work, as, a, as a working man in the private sector, uh, I started thinking, what's going wrong with our country? Why is our government spending so much? Why are there such huge deficits? And why do people keep asking for more? Uh, and that created a series of events that led me to discover the school of thought, the, the, the classical liberal response to that. Uh, so I started reading Friedrich Hayek, I started reading Milton Friedman, and, and that helped me a lot to gain, to gain an understanding of many of the motivations and the uh, machinations that were happening in the Greek society during that time. So shortly after that period, I decided that... Uh, I want to work in politics and help people who understand the same things get elected uh, and prevent uh, bankruptcies like the Greek one from happening in the future. And uh, I pretty much took a bold step. I reset my career. I moved to the United States. Uh, and uh, there I pursued a career in politics. I worked in uh, a couple of campaigns in the U.S. and uh, uh, I ended up uh, working as a state director for Washington State at one of the big Republican primaries uh, for a free market candidate. And uh, that was a very formative experience because I realized that no matter how good a campaign, if the people are asking for the wrong policies, 
politicians are bound to offer those policies no matter what we do as campaigners. Mm -hmm. So I started mm -hmm. thinking that maybe the root cause of the issue is something different. It's what causes um, the citizens to want bad policies. Milton Friedman f famously once said um, that you don't need to change the, the people in Washington. What you need to do is to make the people who vote for them to ask them to do the right thing. So you can have the wrong people doing the right thing if that's what the people want. So essentially, I, uh, I, I pretty much adopted that approach and I realized that what is necessary is an intervention in the field of think tanks and the battle of ideas, if, I, if you may. Uh, and that led me to the Atlas Network where I stayed there in Washington for four years. Uh, and in 2017, uh, after working and helping start dozens of think tanks throughout the world, from Sri Lanka to Malawi and from uh, Greece and Romania to West Virginia, I took the bold step and I said, I'm, I'm going to have to go back to my home country uh, and help uh, things uh, and, and with all the knowledge and experience that I've accumulated because Greece doesn't have a liberal party. Those um, in our audience uh, who follow all the politics definitely know that. Uh, but also it didn't have an independent and professional think tank promoting the ideas of liberalism. And uh, I thought that the time was ripe uh, in 2017 for something like that. And uh, we started, a, we restarted the Center for Liberal Studies. We relaunched it. Uh, and uh, it has been an amazing ride since then. Uh, since 2017, I've been the president of that organization, which is also a European Liberal Forum uh, member. Uh, and uh, we have... Uh, I, I can say that despite our small size, we are, you know, anywhere between uh, eight to nine to ten full-time uh, staffers. Uh, as a non-government-funded, independent think tank, I can say that we are the leading voice of liberalism in Greece. And I'll get to the think tank later in our conversation, but now, still on you and still on your path, I'm curious because of what you said. But that interest in politics were always there, or was the crisis and your exasperation that things were not as good as they could that sparked, or you were always interested in that phenomena? I, I was remotely interested into politics. I was uh, an apolitical Greek, which means uh, I was uh, center-right in economics and uh, uh, center-right also on social issues. Uh, but that through that path uh, of uh, liberalism that I uh, began, that began with, with my effort to understand what caused the Greek crises, I discovered liberalism, and uh, I've been a wholehearted liberal ever since. One of the things that I really want to talk to you, because you are an experienced uh, campaigner, you do understand the mechanics and the incentives of it, and we were just, actually, you and I were, uh, sitting together in a room with uh, some other uh, stakeholders, some other key people. Be careful, Chatham House rule. Chatham House rule. But you did uh, said one sentence that I've, I'm going to ask you if I can please reproduce it with the Chatham House rules. Yes, you have my permission, of course. Which is for you, campaigning doesn't really exist. <laughs> There's a continuous process of trying to reach voters. Yes either directly or indirectly by getting to know them and know what they want. Please get into that because I think that was valuable. Yeah, essentially what I said uh, is that governing is campaigning by different means. And this is something that I learned from uh, a very important conservative figure in the U.S. 
his name is Morton Blackwell, the president and founder of the Leadership Institute. Uh, uh, and this is one of his laws of the public policy process. And it stuck with me because, you know, so much of uh, uh, how the political process works is ideology neutral. Most of the technique, the political technology that is necessary in order to run effective campaigns and win elections has nothing to do with uh, ideology. Of course, there are certain tactics that liberals would not employ while communists or fascists will employ. But the vast majority of uh, uh, that, that lies within the trade and the, uh, and the art of political campaigning is ideologically neutral. And this is one of the most important things that many tend to forget. Because we see time and time again liberal parties striking a victory, getting involved in governance, and forgetting about the role as campaigners. I take from the public school, uh, from the public choice school of thought, I have a, a, a rather cynical view of what political parties are. And in my opinion, the main role of a political party is to get votes and win elections. Everything else comes after, because if you don't do that well, there's not enough uh, material to work with, right? You, you can't influence policy if you are insignificant uh, on your voting shares. You can't uh, influence policy if you don't have elected members of parliament, or if you're not uh, a part of a governing coalition, or if you're not a, a serious opposition. So uh, I think that this is what uh, European liberal parties should be focusing more, and do not forget that uh, governing is campaigning by different means. That's what I meant. Very good. But that assumes that there's an environment for it, that you have to create that kind of structure. You're just saying that liberal parties don't do it. It's because they don't have the structures, because they don't think about it. It's because they don't have that vision. Yeah. And, you know, especially in Europe, which is very diverse, and uh, I don't think there's a unified role, uh, a unified answer to that. But uh, this is an, uh, a mistake that we see time and time again, especially like, you know, in the case of Greece, we don't even have a liberal party to begin with, uh, at least one that has enough impact or support uh, to be at the main political stage in the country. But in countries that do have, we see and, you know, uh, we know that uh, as soon as they get involved in government, the elected politicians get the, the, the front stage and everything else comes second. And then when the time comes for uh, the next election, uh, they're rushing and they're trying with much smaller resources most of the time uh, to compete with bigger parties. I say it's time for the political party structures to get uh, enough of substance, substance and uh, uh, depth in order to be able to campaign throughout the year through it, during uh, the whole electoral cycle, whether it's three, two, four, five years, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's always work to be done. If we could afford four-year campaigns, they would be better than six-month campaigns or three-month campaigns. So that brings the question, are we doing enough in the political field to raise enough money to have the ability to, to campaign throughout? Um, uh, are we doing enough to identify new leaders, activists, uh, who could be leading the charge uh, even at the local or regional level, uh, in between the elections, uh, and is uh, our comms are our comms teams uh, equipped with uh, the knowledge and know-how on how to keep uh, voter and leader and activist engagement high uh, during the off years? 
let's let's continue this on this topic because one thing that you also said, and again, I'm not going to yeah, tell the whole story. Anyway. I'm not going to tell the whole story. <laughs> I'm going to throw it throw it to you. Is that that also needs an electorate that is receptive, an electorate that understands what you're saying, understands the kind of concerns that you're trying to to solve. Please get into that. Yeah, my mantra for political parties is that if you have to explain your positions, you're losing the battle. If political parties have to do explaining, they're wasting valuable time and limited resources on issues that could be better utilized in getting out the vote, uh, training volunteers, uh, identifying uh, new messages that could, be, that could help amplify uh, their, their media or their societal impact. So I say, as liberals, we need to keep in mind that the explaining has to be done in civil society through think tanks, Uh, through advocacy organizations, through grassroots organizations. That's where we get to do the explaining part. Ele uh, political parties should all be about turnout, 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 getting in the votes, getting, uh, uh, gathering political power, and therefore increasing good societal outcomes on a broader level. And if we can manage, you know, Part of uh, the, the liberal agenda is that we understand the need to distribute uh, the, the, each function accordingly, the, the, the distribution of labor, right? So uh, we, we're, we've done a poor job at that in Europe. And I think that our opponents, who are usually uh, better equipped, they have more resources available. In many cases, in most European countries, they're way more popular, right? Their ideas have uh, a bigger uh, impact and a, a bigger acceptance. Uh, I think we're missing a big opportunity here. If we're asking political parties to explain their positions, we're making them do uh, the work that lazy think tankers are not doing or non-existent uh, think tankers are not doing. That's a, a fantastic point. But let me throw it back to you again, the same idea, which is I'm, I'm concerned about this because I do think that there's a big lack of education on economics, on financial, on politics, on society, even on science. How can we do this then? Because on the other hand, people will tell you, and I'm sure they do all the time, is that I'm busy. I have a million things to do. So we should grab them early <laughs> and, 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 and grab them still in school. Is that... Is that the solution? You're speaking to my heart right now because uh, one of the most exciting projects that I've gotten involved over the last years is uh, a European uh, project that it started in Europe actually and it's expanding throughout the world right now that aims to promote economic literacy in high school, at high school students. This is called the Economics Olympiad. It's uh, a project that was started by uh, Martina Bashakova from uh, the Czech Republic uh, with the Institute for Economic Education there, INEV. Um, and they have done a fantastic job in putting together uh, reading material, study materials, and uh, they have an amazing online system that facilitates teachers throughout Europe uh, and helps them register their schools and get their, ch their, their students uh, involved in economics understand the basic fundamental, not liberal economics, socialist economics, or whatever, mainstream economics that help you understand how the world works, right? Uh, standard textbooks like uh, 
uh, Tyler Cowens and uh, Alex Tabarrok, introduction into uh, micro and macro, uh, and also in financial education, because we have, in, in so many cases, we see that the vast majority of people do not understand fundamental concepts of how the modern economy works. They don't really understand what interest is, what the banking sector does, uh, what GDP is, why does it matter if we know what our, G what our country's GDP is, uh, and so many other things. And this came to me, this need for more financial and economic education occurred to me during the years of uh, the Greek memorandum. Mm. Right? The Greek bailouts. And I'm sure maybe in Portugal you had a similar issue. Oh, we had memorandums and bailouts. Where, you know, in Greece, we had a, a, an entire uh, referendum on whether the people thought that the debt sustainability uh, analysis uh, of the ECB was a good idea or not. Right? And that showed that, hey, wait a minute, our citizens have not been trained in economics. They don't understand these questions. And what do we see? We see that economic illiteracy, and we found that as one of the root causes of the track that the Greek society took, one of the root causes that made the messaging of the far left and the far right appealing in Greece and in other countries was economic illiteracy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? So when you have the right-wingers uh, yelling Uh, on TV and uh, on the streets that the foreigners are stealing our jobs. Economists know that that's not true. In economics, there's no debate on whether uh, immigration is a net positive or not. That issue has been solved in the economic science. It's pretty straightforward. It's one of the few things that economists of uh, any um, mainstream school of thought agree on. However, on politics, it's a very divisive issue. Unfortunately, liberals agree with the, the economists who understand these issues better than most, uh, but the, the vast majority of the population does not agree with us. So that brings up the point. Would society be better? Would political discourse be richer and more substantial if the population had a better level of uh, economic literacy? And any way you look at it, the answer seems to be yes. And beyond that, I'm going to uh, quote uh, some very important studies done by uh, a Greek economist who's based in uh, Scotland at uh, the Adam Smith Business School, University of Glasgow. Uh, his name is Georgios Panos. Uh, and what he found was that if you study political behavior and economic literacy, you discover some very interesting findings. The main ones being that economic literacy is... Uh, robustly and negatively correlated with uh, the probability to vote for a populist party. In other words, in simple words, it means the more financial and economic literacy someone has, the less likely it is to vote for a populist party. As someone who believes that the most fundamental value worth fighting for today, with all the threats that we're facing uh, from east, west, and north, is the defense of liberal democracy, which is the cornerstone of what makes Europe European and makes all of us liberals. I really believe that we should be taking a closer look into financial and economic education uh, as a tool to defend liberal democracy. So in, in, in let's say in 
some concentral circle circles as you get in or as you get out, you will put this kind of economic and financial training and, and knowledge at the center of it. Yes. That'll be the starting point. For me, it's, uh, you know, and we're all in a, in a constant pursuit of, of the route that can unfold everything else. Um, I'm not sure if uh, financial and economic literacy is the route, but it's definitely pretty up, it's pretty high up there. So I, I would recommend it's a valid strategy uh, to, uh, for all the think tanks that are listening to us to encourage education ministries throughout Europe to intensify their efforts and come in accordance with human development goals, OECD standards, uh, and, have, and make sure that the, we have enough economics uh, taught in high schools and maybe even before that. Because it does connect to other things like you were saying, like a migration problem or a health problem or a, a financial problem. Well, financial naturally so, but financial related, for example, with social life. Because there's a lot of concern about inflation. If you understand inflation, then you understand, all right, okay, that's the root problems and those are the, the, the causes and how to solve it. But you have populists just just throwing crap out of the wall, then it's hard if you don't have that training. We want our politicians to be debating the right things, not the wrong things. If uh, populist parties say about inflation that what we have to do is to give everyone 50,000 euros so we can live better, that's not going to work. Gonna it sounds work. great, though. It's a, it's a very popular opinion, right? It would become very popular. So uh, by having... Uh, it's like, uh, it, the way I like to put it, in order to put it in, uh, in a post-COVID framework, economic education is a vaccine against populism. Nice. I like that. That's going to be the title of the podcast. As we are getting into the end of our time, I want you to go then on the work you do and the work of the Think Tank. What you guys doing, not only, I'm sure, it reflects on Greece naturally, but also our European network. So please get into that. Yeah, well, we, we are very much involved in European networks. As I mentioned before, we are members of the European Liberal Forum. At the same time, we're one of the nine think tanks that are uh, members of the Epicenter Network. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're also members of the Atlas Network, the International Property Rights Alliance, and many other groups um, uh, that uh, promote either uh, the entire liberal agenda or parts of it uh, through free markets or civil, uh, civil liberties. Uh, because as an organization, we stand pretty firmly on both. So but this, uh, this was a, a trick question so, because I wanted to ask you what about your personal goals. Would you go, would you go into politics? Would uh, you go and campaign, be a campaign d director again? Well, what's, what's on your horizon for you, sir? Yeah, so I've taken a back seat when it comes to political campaigning uh, because there's a conflict of interest. I can't be running campaigns uh, and be a president of a liberal think tank that wants to be nonpartisan, right? So uh, unfortunately, I've taken a step back uh, in my capacity as an active campaign executive, though uh, from time to time I do train people on how to run campaigns if I'm convinced that their heart is in the right place and they defend liberal democracy. Uh, and I do that. I did that uh, during the previous election cycle uh, at the municipal level with a uh, quite a bit with a very good record of success for those that I uh, uh, trained. Uh, but more importantly, you know. The, the question of whether I'm going to get into politics. I, I've been asked a lot about that in, in Greece as well. Uh, my answer is I don't think that's the solution. I don't think uh, that currently that's where my, my energy and my, and my experience would be most useful to the cause. Uh, for me, the cause is to increase 
uh, human freedom uh, at every level for every citizen. And uh, I don't think that uh, at least Greece uh, currently is at the point where it would benefit from a single liberal politician. There's a lot of work that needs to be done uh, in changing the climate of ideas in the country. We've started that with the Center for Liberal Studies. Uh, and we've been quite successful. Let me give you an example. Like uh, a few years ago, about a decade ago, the word liberal... As it, is in, as it was in Portugal, I would assume, uh, it was a bad word. It was Indeed. a cuss word. You would say that someone is a liberal or a neoliberal in order to completely negate him of any moral high ground and any moral standing. Exactly. So uh, that changed uh, for multiple reasons. The main, in my interpretation, is that the radical left, who was uh, the, the Syriza party, uh, that governed from 2015 to 2019, they were all against uh, liberalism and free markets and neoliberal, li neoliberalism and all that. And they did very, very poorly. And that discredited most of the, the things they had to say. So people started looking for different solutions. And uh, through the work that we have done in publications, in uh, uh, mass media campaigns, uh, and I can give you examples of that if we have time, uh, through our studies uh, that have gathered uh, nationwide attention, what we saw was that there was a shift. And now, in Greece, liberalism is the number one self-identified uh, ideological category when we ask Greeks to, mm. to, to position themselves. They say we're liberals. They don't, I'm not convinced they really know what that is, but it shows what it means for us. And there's an open. Exactly. It means that now the door is open and it's up to us to give content to the term before uh, right or left-wing politicians rush to fill in the gap. So that's a big challenge we have ahead of us in Greece. Very good. As we're getting to the end of the, our time, I'm going to put on the show notes how can our listeners know more about the Center for Liberal Studies, but tell us where they can people can follow you online. Yeah, well, I'm not very active on Twitter, although people... Uh, and I, I, I don't give me that judgmental view because I know you, you're, you're <laughs> killing it on Twitter. For our listeners, yes, I did, I did a judgmental face. He's right. <laughs> yes. uh, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not very active on Twitter, uh, mostly on Facebook. Our organization, our website is uh, www.kefim, uh, as Mary, uh, .org. Our website is uh, in Greek and English, and uh, uh, we do a lot of studies in both languages through ELF and other uh, projects. We run very active social media, YouTube channels, and all that. Uh, and our Economics Olympiad is, uh, if people want to find out more about the Economics Olympiad, which is uh, the main project that uh, promotes economic literacy high school for high school youth, they can go to economicsolympiad.com. Uh, and uh, if they want, there's, uh, if there are any think tanks there that want to organize uh, the Olympiad in their country, they can also sign up on a relevant form on that website and uh, people will be reaching out to them. Very good. I'm going to put all the links on the podcast show notes that people know more about, also about the Olympiads. I've been talking with Alexander Skudish. I must say, Alexander, I'm very, very disappointed in you that the American experience did not drive you to be the king of Europe or something like that? Well, uh, um, Americans, they don't like kings very much. <laughs> well, I don't know the things, the way things are right now. And actually, I'm going to invite you back on the podcast as we move forward to the presidential election of 2024 that I, in the United States, that is, uh, that I'm 
afraid for multiple reasons, but I'm not going to go into them now. We're all afraid of Yes, sir. So I'll ask you to uh, come back to the podcast. But this was great. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. It was a wonderful uh, time we spent together and uh, in beautiful Lisbon. Uh, I'm getting to love this city very much. All right. Thank you. To be continued. Just a reminder that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by Elf for this month of June. On the 6th of June, from 9.50 to 4.20 p.m., this is GMT. So we're talking about London time. At the National Liberal Club in said London, we have Bad News Travel Fast, Fake News Travels Faster. This is a conference on disinformation, the way forward, and is organized by our friends from the Institute for Politics and Society in the Czech Republic and the Paddy Ashdown Forum. This conference aims to bring together experts from different fields, such as health, environment, and politics, to discuss problems caused by and ways that we can combat mis- and disinformation. Then on the 9th of June, this is from 1.45 p.m. to 3.5 p.m. Central European time, at Certosa di Pontigliano, and I hope I said that right, we have the event European Western, the good, parenthesis, NATO security umbrella, close parenthesis, the bad, open parenthesis, iron curtain, close parenthesis, and the ugly, open parenthesis, European army, close parenthesis. I think it's the first time I say so many parentheses here in the pod. This is a plenary discussion that is uh, happening during the Fort Siena Conference on the Future of Europe and is organized by our European Liberal Forum. The good, the bad and the ugly serves as a reminder of the complex and multifaceted nature of Europe's security architecture. This event will explore the various dimensions of the European security, including the positive aspects of NATO security umbrella, the negative consequences of the new Cold War-like scenario following the invasion of Ukraine, and the challenges and limits concerning the proposal for a European army. The discussion is also considered the potential role of the EU in shaping the future of European security and defense, giving the delicate balance between national and supranational interests. This plenary discussion will take place during the Fort Siena Conference on the Future of Europe. This is from the 8th to the 10th of June. That is organized by the Vision Think Tank with all European political foundations. To know more about these events, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. This podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament, and have the support of the social liberal movement Think Tank in Portugal and Liberty Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone, and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.